following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What's up, everybody? Another episode of The Intentional Foul. Episode 7 of Coronamania. Hell in a Cell. Uh, I'm riding, rolling solo in my basement again here. Uh, got Josh on the line. How you doing, man? Hello. Good to have you back. And uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, We actually had a, a sports weekend. What, what, a, what a time. I mean... We got a lot of stuff to get into. Um, got the draft, which I mean, frankly, but you know, I wanted to. I wanted to do this Thursday night at like eleven o'clock. I was ready to roll, but uh, we got the draft to talk about. We got the uh, episodes three and four of the Jordan documentary, and then uh, a little bit of late breaking news about the NBA that I'll, I'll touch on as well. But um, I heard a rumor that. Goldberg may be giving up the radio business to start his own interior painting company. Is there any truth to oh this? God, I if if you can make I, I I don't know. Do painters and painting businesses make a lot of money? I don't know, because but whatever they make, I hate painting too. I'm with it's you. It's worth it. Yeah, it's awful. It sucks. Um, it's like my least favorite household chore now i've never i'm or i should say household project no i've never like torn up tile and done that stuff or refloored anything or you know laid carpet or i, I haven't done any of that stuff because i am not well trained in that but i mean it's the setup is just so tedious and you know a lot of things can go wrong and then are you totally 100 percent happy when you're done with it no you kind of are when it's done. You're like, man, we did a good job, and then you can sit back. But, you know, how long does that last until you want to redo something? Is it going to be a few years? But I, And it's amazing because you don't move around a ton, but you're wiped out at the end, man. Well, and especially if you're painting up high because you're constantly reaching over your head in a movement that you don't typically make, and your arms are just rubber afterwards. I'm not joking when I say from applying the pressure to the roller because we had one of those extended poles where the roller screws onto the end of it because we have all the ceilings in the living room and and our wall is absolutely gigantic I have a blister on you know one of the inside at the base of my fingers where I was pressing on the roller so hard just to apply the paint hey man I'm, I'm with you dude like uh, <laughs> you know I'll do I'll do landscaping stuff all day long I mean, I, I have sure. no problem with that, but like you know, you you came over to on, on Saturday to borrow my ladder, and and you know, you, you saw my parents there, and uh, I'm getting a new screen door. We're putting a new screen door on in my garage, and like, I ain't doing that. My dad's doing that. Like, if I do that, <laughs> something I'm gonna I'm gonna get too mad. I have too short a temper when it doesn't work right. I'm gonna get pissed off and break something, and the door's gonna end up being crooked. So let's just <laughs> let's just. This, 
you know, forget all that stuff. Let's just do it right the first time. I'll be your gopher. You tell me to go get whatever you need. Let's just get it done. Well, and we had aspirations of putting the, 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 the paint on on Saturday, doing, you know, one wall, then the other wall, and then being done. Until we got done with the first mega wall, ran out of the two quarts of paint that we had, and then looked at the wall and said, we're going to need another coat of paint. So then this turns in from a Saturday thing into a Sunday thing, which results in me going over to Home Depot to get a, a gallon this time because we already know we're going to have to do the other wall twice. And while I'm there on Sunday morning, it's 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and I see a woman with her dog in the shopping cart for whatever reason you need to take your dog to Home Depot on a Sunday morning, and the dog takes the shit right in the cart. <laughs> Uh, I mean, she's she's just screaming. She's like, no, 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 no. And then she's paralyzed. She's frozen, not knowing what to do. She's got like one thing with the cart and going back and forth, not knowing what to do. Should I go get some paper towels and plastic bags? Should I stay here with the dog? Is it going to jump out? And then because the, the shopping carts are graded, the crap is falling down to the bottom and getting on the floor the dog wants to get the hell out of there she cleans up half of it and by the time i turn around from getting my rollers the paintbrush and the paint the cart is still there half the crap has been cleaned up and the woman and the dog are nowhere to be found <laughs> all right so i need a little more i need some more details so what kind of dog are we talking like uh, like a like a lab or is this like a little little dog it, it wasn't a toy dog it wasn't a little a little you know rat kind of dog it was it was a spaniel, I think, of, of some sort. So it was a it was a medium sized dog, one that could fit comfortably in the cart. Um, and it had a vest on it, so I don't know whether it was like an emotional dog or a support dog or something like that. But uh, it was just the woman screaming, and I thought something was like something was falling down off a shelf and was going to like hit her on the head or something. But then I turned around, I saw the dog. Like I didn't even need to see anything else. I saw the dog. I'm like, that dog is probably probably taking a dump and sure enough unbelievable like that whole well, that, that that whole I service should... dog thing I, I mean i have serious reservations about it in general but like who takes their who puts a dog in a shopping cart and goes to the hardware store like that's just bizarre i don't have a i don't have a problem with veterans who have ptsd and those dogs are meant to be you know have companionship 100 percent agree you know, certain people who need the dog because they sense, you know, people going into diabetic shock or they're going to have a seizure or something like that. I mean, for God's sake, people that are blind. I'm not saying those dogs don't serve a purpose. But for it's sure. Like everybody now needs an excuse to take their dog with them for whatever. I mean, I take my dog for a ride, but I'm not taking my dog into a store, like even where, where it's welcome, like mouth to get pet food or I know or anything. <laughs> I'm not, no way my dog's going in there. My dog, last time I took it to get uh, get vaccinated over at uh, whatever the place is in the pine tree, it took a leak on the floor in there. <laughs> like, that's just, and that, I was supposed to have my dog there. Right. Like, that, that wasn't my choice. Like, if that happens mandatory, then I'm not choosing to take it anywhere. Yeah, I hear you, man. It's <laughs> That would have been very funny to be in the store to see that, though. I don't know. I, I can only imagine. It was 
It was unbelievable. All right, well, let's dig into some stuff so we don't have an hour-and-a-half podcast again tonight. Um, some late-breaking news. <laughs> okay. Late-breaking news here from the NBA um, that came out today. They're starting to tentatively make some make some headway on, on what might the immediate future holds. So um, they released a statement today. I'll just read it here quick. Uh, the NBA has informed its teams today as numerous state and local governments have announced modifications to stay-at-home orders and other restrictions on non-essential business activity beginning this week. The league is planning to modify its guidance regarding the use of practice facilities and player training. Um, basically, uh, May 8th would be the first day that this could happen, but they say... Um, it may push the timing back if developments warrant. Basically, it's no more than four players at the facility at any time. No head or assistant coaches could participate because they don't want it to turn into a practice. Um, group activities remain prohibited, including practices or scrimmages, and players are still prohibited from using non-team facilities such as public health uh, clubs, fitness centers, or gyms. So... There's a little something in the works. I'm not too surprised. Um, you know, Trump had the uh, the big owners meeting uh, with the heads of all of the major leagues in this country. Um, I'm not surprised that, you know, seven or ten days after that, that, that some stuff has come out. Um, I have seen a little bit of player hesitation um, with coming back, and I'm not surprised by that. It's... You know, it's a little concerning. Um, you'd like everybody to be on the same page, but I'm not shocked. I mean, if you're an older player on a team that doesn't have a chance to win a title or you're a player on a team that's not going to make the playoffs, are you willing to come back? You know, like if you're Chris Paul and you're 35 and you're on the Oklahoma City Thunder who's going to be like the sixth seed, do you want to go to Vegas for six weeks to lose in the second round? Like, is that worth it to you? I, I, I mean, I understand that's what you do. That's part of your job. But, you know, right now it's just a little, all bets are kind of off. I mean, I'm not surprised that they're getting some pushback from the players. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think about that, that newest development? Well, I guess I'm not surprised that something has got to happen. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Um, but at the same time, if, not everybody is down with it and some are going to work harder than others then who's going to be taking more advantage of it and how much more advantageous is that to a particular team that really wants to make the most use of what is being allowed so I, I mean I guess you either got something that everybody's on board with and everybody sticks to a schedule or a regimen where and when they can or I, I mean I don't know this, this just seems like that you know, a few are going to take advantage. Some aren't. Some are going to have their whole heart and head in it, and some aren't. And I don't know whether that's going to make a bit of difference when when games finally, you know, start to get back uh, in full swing. Um, but I, I guess it doesn't surprise me because it seems like not everybody is going to be on board, and it, it really doesn't make any difference in any sport. Not everybody's going to be on board with what's decided when, how, when, and how we get rolling with everything. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that I've heard is that um, the owners are very adamant that they get to the seventy game mark of the regular season. Right now, every team in the league has played between sixty three and sixty seven games. 
Um, and the reason the 70 game mark is critical is because they get paid out by their regional sports networks if they get to 70 games. So they get a bunch of money for that. Because um, one of the thoughts was just scrap the regular season and start the playoffs. While the owners of the teams that aren't going to make the playoffs, they don't want to have to be cutting checks back to their local Fox Sports. They want to be able to get some of that money. Um, and then some of the owners of teams, it sounds like, you know, if you're, you know, top eight in each league make the playoffs, if your team's 9, 10, and 11, um, you don't want them to just go into the playoffs. You want to have a chance in these last couple games to maybe make it yourself. So. Um, a lot of stuff to be ironed out, but it's nice that um, we're you know we're starting to see things hopefully trending in the right direction. You know, it, it kind of all started with the draft, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but you know, to see the NBA making some strides, I'm starting to hear some good things about baseball. Nothing definitive, but it sounds like these leagues are starting to move forward and, and hoping to try to get something sooner rather than later. So that's good. For sure. All right, let's get into the draft. Um, what did you? Let's just start. What did you think of of the way it was done? Um, you know, no technical glitches, um, but you know, you had all these people in different places. I mean, what did you think? Did you think it was kind of cool or kind of cheesy or or what? I thought they did the best um, with what they had available. It, it appears that they put a lot of time and energy into the technical side of things to have, you know, cameras and feeds set up in 60 athletes, not to mention every head coach and general manager that would allow them uh, in there as well. I thought uh, all the panelists were good, utilized more than others. Um, that's a tough job if you're Trey Wingo to try and anchor that and go in a million different directions, being shouted in your ear about where you're going. And when you're going and cutting people off and maybe going too early, I mean, there's a, I don't, I don't want uh, to think about having to do that job because I bet it's enormous. But the only complaint that I have is no different than the regular draft when it's held on location is that it needs to go a lot faster. And I realize for TV, they try and stretch this out. There's money to be made, but you know what? When I have to wait an extra 10 minutes after I already see that the pick is in, all people want to know about is the pick. They don't want interviews. They don't want highlights. They don't want Schefter or some talking head talking about the previous pick and how good they are and watch this, this tape and whatever. Just get it going, man. You know, this isn't the Oscars. We can get out of here in four hours or less. And I don't... I, I don't really has um, the best interest interest of the fan in mind, which is not surprising. Um, but that that was really my only complaint. Pick it up. Yeah, I I thought it was quite well done, all things considered. Um, I thought it was really cool that you got to see some of these coaches and general managers and even owners kind of, you know, sitting around with their families or their kids and, you know, people were, you know, doing goofy stuff like Vrabel's kids were I don't even know what the hell they were dressed up as, but they were dressed up as idiots. And like one kid, one guy, they showed one guy who was like sitting on the toilet. Like that's cool. That's fun. I appreciate that. Um, I just don't like Trey Wingo. I think he sucks. I think he's a douchebag. I think he's very good at his job. Um, I, I just don't particularly like the guy. 
I think he's extremely pompous, and you know, I could have thought of about ten other people I would have rather hosted the draft. But I get, I get it. He is their NFL guy, so I get it. Um, I mean, kind of to piggyback off of your pick, the pace up a little bit. I I thought the first round was extremely boring. Um, there were almost no trades until the last six or eight picks. There wasn't any action. Um, I thought that the the human interest part of every draft pick and how we had to talk about every tragedy that's ever befallen these guys. Um, I think I don't know who that's for. Like, is that it? You know, that's not for you and me. That's for like your wife, right? Like, I don't like. I feel that so and so's mother passed away last year. That's awful. But I don't really need to know that and hear about that on the draft. Like, tell me, you know, show me a couple highlights of his of his career. Talk about how he fits into the next team, and then yeah, move on. Unless it's unless it's something that crazy that happens or something that is potentially like league changing, like kind of like what the Packers did. Like, yeah, man, just keep it moving. You know, um, having and I agree with you when you look at the bottom left corner and it says the pick is in and then seven minutes later, you're still sitting there looking at the pick being in. It's like, what are we doing here? Come on, let's go. Right. That's right. Yep. Um, I would agree with you about the tragedy part. It's not meant for us. It's meant for um, kids and athletes that have are in similar situations to say that, well, if that happened and that's a, you know, a motivating factor, then there's no reason it can't be for me too. Um, and, and I get it. There, there are tragedies that have befallen everybody. But when you tell me that something happened way back in 2008 yeah. or 2005, and it is still, you know, you're, it's still paying dividends, I guess, as far as, you know, what you're doing and how you're doing it. I, you know, you don't need to tell me that. I'm really interested in the fact that less than a year ago, something happened and a family member who was going to be very proud of you to see you finally make it to the pros is no longer able to do that. You know, that that to me is an absolute tragedy because sure. you're so close to getting what you want and taking care of your family and whatnot. But something that, that happened way back when we've had some time to get past that. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And I mean, there was one kid they showed where it was like his dad played college football. His mom played college volleyball. His sister's currently playing college volleyball and his brother plays high school basketball. And it's like, who gives a shit? What does he fit into the scheme that the chiefs have? That's I, I don't give a shit what his 14 year old brother's doing. I'm sorry. I don't know. Better yet, who cares? The next pick is in. Let's go. Yes, exactly. Well, speaking of some picks, um, I, I've been I've been waiting for this for three days. Like I said, I was ready to hop on here at about eleven o'clock on Thursday night and uh, and hear your immediate thoughts. But um, the Packers had an interesting draft, um, highlighted obviously by their their first round pick. They trade up four spots and give up a fourth-round pick uh, to draft Jordan Love, who is pretty much a poor man's Pat Mahomes is kind of what I've, I'm calling him. Um, you know, he's he's athletic, and he throws the ball sidearm once in a while, so I guess he's the new Pat Mahomes. Um, 
give me your impressions on the overall Packer draft. Kind of, uh, um, you know, what you liked, what you didn't like, where you think they're going, and uh, you know, obviously, touch on this Rogers thing. Well, I think, like a lot of people, I didn't really understand the the, the first pick trading up, um, and then you know, by and large, okay, after that, fine. Let's see what you can do. Then they get in a position where they're fairly comfortable right now. They add to it with running back in the second round. They pick up a tight end, which, I mean, they lost Jimmy Graham, which isn't much of a loss. They have uh, a second-year guy coming back. They got uh, one of the oldest tight ends in the league uh, also. So this is going to be their their fourth guy uh, that should get some playing time, I guess. And he's like an eighth back, could be used as fullback. And they got a linebacker who... Uh, my, my cousin Michael told me that um, his blurb and his player synopsis is that he has problems diagnosing the play till it's a little bit more downfield. Like, <laughs> oh, great. So this is a perfect replacement for Blake Martinez when he can tackle the guy seven or eight yards down the field. Um, John Runyon's a good offensive lineman. You got Jake Hansen who can step in at center, another offensive tackle. Um, the safety and the edge rusher, I don't really care about. They're, they're seventh round guys. They'll, they'll be lucky to make the team, uh, at this point. But you've got the potential for some of these offensive linemen to replace some big contracts. Um, the, the, the linebackers, a position of need and everything adds up and, and you put it in the notes. And that's one of the things that I, that I read is that it seems like that the Packers are, for all intents and purposes, undergoing a switch that LeFleur's offense is turning into a ground and pound control the clock double tight end set take the pressure off Rodgers and the and the under uh utilize and maybe not utilize the wide receivers as much so you don't have to be so dependent on them when and, and I, I guess I was talking with this uh, about this with Michael earlier today and looking at some of the Pax's offense from way back when you didn't expect to have a really good receiver group one through four because chances are not all of them were on the field at the same time. You had a fullback, you had a running back, maybe you had two tight ends, and you know what? They were they had a dangerous offense. And if you need to re- limit Rodgers' throws from 45 down to 25 and run the ball, okay, fine, that's what you want to do. There's still a chance that you could do good things with that. But the other side of that is, you got to be able to stop the ball defensively. And right now, they didn't really do anything to improve that. So, uh, great, get your offensive scheme, get the players you want. Maybe then the next step is trying to figure out how you can do that on the flip side. But um, I don't really understand the timing of the, of the Jordan Love thing because if Rodgers is under contract through 2023 and standard rookie contracts are four years with a fifth-year option, and if Rodgers is going to play that out, that means they're going to have to pick up Love's fifth-year option before he's even a starter, and then he'll be in his first year, and then maybe that's when they wonder whether they got anything in this kid and they give him a, an extension or not, or they cut him loose. It just seems a little too close. And if that timeline doesn't hold up, that means there's a messy divorce or a sudden retirement or a trade or something that doesn't in Aaron Rodgers playing out the remainder of his contract in Green Bay. Yeah, but before we dive headfirst into the Rodgers thing, just to touch on their overall draft, I, you know, I, I 
I don't watch a ton of college football, um, so most of these guys I don't really know much about them. But if you just look at it positionally, they didn't draft. I mean, they draft three offensive linemen and a blocking tight end, none of which are probably going to start. Um, maybe one of your. No. I mean, if if one of your if you have a sixth round offensive lineman starting for you, you're in trouble. Um, they draft a linebacker in the fifth round, probably. like you said. Who I I mean, I don't. I can't imagine him making much of an impact. And you draft a running back who's who's going to be your backup short yardage guy. Um, this is a team that won 13 games last year and was a game away from the Super Bowl. And, and granted, they played the Niners twice and they got smashed twice. Um, it it it's a it's it's one of those things where do they do they are they kind of where I was last year? Did they maybe think this was a little smoke and mirrors going thirteen and three? Maybe they were more of a nine and seven team than an actual thirteen and three team. Um, I I don't know, man. I mean, I just it's it's really interesting how how this has unfolded, and you know, Rogers Rogers wanted to play for somebody other than Mike McCarthy, and he got his wish. And you know, sometimes the grass isn't greener, and I think it's pretty obvious by the pick of Love in the first round and trading up to get him that Aaron Rodgers is on borrowed time in Green Bay. Matt LaFleur's comment of Aaron Rodgers, I hope he plays many more years, I thought was interesting because he didn't say for the Green Bay Packers. Um, I don't know, man. This I, I'm with you. The, the timing of the Love thing is interesting, contractually especially. Uh, because the most valuable thing in football right now is the young quarterback on a rookie contract, which allows you to then build up the rest of your team with some bigger money guys, which we've seen the Seahawks do. We saw the Rams do it. We've seen the Chiefs do it. Um, obviously, that that's kind of the way we've seen teams be successful and make the Super Bowl. But, yeah, the Packers are, are giving up for sure one year, probably two years of that, because it'll be very hard to move Aaron Rodgers and not take a massive hit on the cap next year. Um, I, I just thought, I, I don't even think, and I'm not even saying that Jared uh, Jordan Love is going to be a bad player. I have no clue. I just think it was the wrong time to pick a kid like that in the first round when you're coming off the season that you had and you still have a quarterback who... He's not in his prime, but he's in the he's at the tail end of a of a prime that's still better than 95 percent of the quarterbacks in football. Yeah, and even about I mean about your comment about smoke and mirrors and whether this is a nine and seven team, that would mean that you need more help than a thirteen and three team to put you over the top, which kind of makes this draft then even more egregious because one, you don't have anybody that helps you in the next year. And two, they're probably not looking at these guys to help even for another two or three years right. down the road. It's I bizarre. Mean, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. Is, no. I mean, the the running back, you've already got Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. That's your one-two punch. They like Dexter Williams enough to hang on to him for another year. Now you're adding him in, Williams. And Jones are off after this year. They're going to have to make a decision on one of them. I don't think they're going to re-sign both. 
or they let them both go and they go with this Dylan kid. I, you know, I have no idea. Um, the, the, the tight end, the H back, you know, whatever the linebacker might see some snaps on special teams. But other than that, you probably won't see any of these guys other than the kickoff uh, and, and punt teams um, coming up on Sundays if we have a season. I mean, are you shocked that they didn't draft a wide receiver in what was told what was told to everybody as the like the deepest wide receiver class ever? I mean, that was that was probably one of I, other than other than them drafting Love. I think one of the most shocking things of the entire draft was the Packers not drafting a wide receiver at all. My jaw kind of dropped when I saw Brian Gudikin's comments when he was asked about wide receivers and saying at the position that they were every time they picked, they didn't see a guy on the board that could justify them taking or could help their team, which it kind of just made me go, what are you, what did you watch out and trying to get open? How could one of these guys not step in and be better than, and I'm not saying he's bad, be better than an undrafted free agent in Alan Lazard who wound up being at the end of the season your number two guy. I I don't understand how that's possible. Again, I, I'm not a scout. I don't watch film. But I, I just look on paper at the results and who got who's with the team now and who's not with the team from the start of last season. And I just don't get how you can't say that one of those receivers that was available to you at any given time could not have helped that group. Well, you know, they did sign Devin Funches, so. Yeah, great. <laughs> I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10 on Thursday night when that pick happened, I mean, 10 being the highest, like, how mad were you? 11. <laughs> I went uh... to bed. I, I, I didn't even watch. I didn't even watch the rest. The people that I was texting, uh, you know, with, I think you included, I just said, I, you know, I didn't even have any reaction when they were like, wow, and holy crap, whatever. I just said, I'm going to bed. Good night. Wow. That's, that's, and then, that's, and then I laid funny. in bed for 45 minutes just doing. Well, I, I've probably talked to 10 or 15 Packer fans since Thursday, and I've had one tell me that they like the pick and they tried to invoke the, well, you know, they did the same thing with Rogers in 05. They drafted him and they already had Favre and Favre was older, but it's not the same. I mean, Rogers should have been the number one pick in the draft. And he was even talked about as being such before the draft and him falling into the twenties where green Bay got him was a complete fluke. And people forget too, that was really about the time when Favre was starting to really be wishy-washy about how long he was going to play. You know, he was never, yeah, I want to play till I'm 40. He never said that. He was like, well, you know, we got to see how it goes, and maybe, maybe not. And the Packers were kind of forced to, to, to have a quarterback in place for the future. That's not the case with this, with this team and with Rodgers now. Rodgers has said he would like to play at least 40 or close to 40, which is another four or five years. And, you know, you could start to really see a drop in Favre's play in the mid-2000s there, where Rodgers has dipped a little bit, 
like his completion percentage is down a little bit and, and things like that, and his touchdowns were a little down. But, like, the guy still only threw, like, four picks. I think he threw for almost or just or just over 4,000 yards. And, again, they went 13-3. and three. I, I just – to to make this move, it, it – I mean, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you have to be sitting there going, in two years max, I'm out of there. Max. There's no way – he is on that roster, I don't think, heading into, what, the 2022 season? I think we spend the summer of 2022 wondering where Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing football. I, I just don't see any way he's there in three years. I don't know how it could be possible. Unless, like you said, love is just no good. I mean, unless he's like Kaiser Sose, the dude they had a couple years ago, Deshaun Kaiser, like... Unless he's that bad, I don't know how I don't know how Aaron Rodgers keeps his job in three or four years. Well, they've spent a lot of years with Brett Hundley and they stuck with him for a long time and now you've got Tim Boyle and now Jordan Love is I mean, I don't know anything about Rodgers' contract. I know it's a lot of guaranteed money. I don't know how much dead money and savings against the cap that, you know, they would save if they trade him or release him or do anything like that but I'm I'm kind of in your camp that I don't see how he finishes out this contract as a member of the Packers and it's 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 amazing how these new regimes that are in charge coach general manager you know whatever they have now kind of been turned into villains and it and it happened with Thompson with Favre because a lot of people never let him live that down and if Gutekinds winds up being the guy that runs Rodgers out of town when he wants to stay, you know, the Favre thing wasn't a big deal for me because, like you mentioned, it was the wishy-washy thing. And that's why I, I honestly didn't have a problem with the Rodgers pick. I was like, oh, wow, he fell all the way there and he could be our future guy. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be a, a top pick. Fine, that's great because cause the current guy is, is hemming and hawing. You know, this not being the case, this has a chance now to be even messier yeah. than than the Favre thing, and now you've got a guy who is probably going to be vilified and remembered as the guy who ran Rodgers out of town. And I and I I think Aaron Rodgers is way too smart and way too conscious of how he's perceived to treat Jordan Love the way Favre treated him. But that re, that relationship now between Rodgers and the front office is is gone. Um, I'm sure that he's going to have some very, very hard feelings with his new coach. Um, it, it's a little reminiscent about what we talked about last year or last week with the with the Bulls and, and Michael Jordan. It's like, you know, once that trust with the front office is broken, it's really, really hard to ever get that back. And I don't know, man. It, it's as a as a non Packer fan to sit back and watch this happen again. It's 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 very head scratching. Um, I mean, Aaron Rodgers on the Bears in three years. Eh? Never know. Never know. <laughs> well, Chicago didn't draft a quarterback, which is mind-boggling to me. But, I mean, they didn't have any ammunition to do it with. And with people saying you can't pay Mitch Trubisky $24 million if they pick up his extension, and now you've got Nick Foles, I mean, who do you got under center going forward? Because there's nobody in, you know, the seven picks that the Bears made that 
get, can take over the race. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. And before we get into that, one last thing I want to touch on with the Packers. I sent you a clip the other day of one of the Fox Sports guys kind of going off about the Packers. And he touched on something that you and I have gone back and forth about the last couple of years in regards to the Packers. And this this feeling that I have of you're in you're basically in year 30 of the Favre Rogers era and you've got two titles and you've only been to three Super Bowls. I look at that as severely underachieving. You've countered to me that um, they're 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 good every year. They're in the playoffs every year. They they always have a chance to make a run and and you know that's I th- I think you have said you're fine with that. Um I don't know. I just think this this whole draft and the way everything is has unfolded, um, it, it kind of plays into that that Packer mentality of we're okay with going eleven and five and winning a playoff game and saying, "Oh man, we were really close." Um, instead of maybe you know just throwing all your chips in and going for it and saying, "You know what? We got Aaron Rodgers for three, four more years tops." We got to go all in here. We need to win a Super Bowl. We need to win a second Super Bowl with him. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of it just kind of reinforced my belief in in the Packers having the kind of mentality of being okay with. I, I don't want to say mediocrity because they've been better than mediocre, but um, I don't know. I, I just when you have these great p- players in any sport, I'm just all about like you got to go for it. It's so hard to win at the professional level in any of these sports that when you have this, when you have a window, you got to try to jump through it. And I just think the Packers missed the boat again, this, this off season. Uh, A couple of things from that clip and what you say can both be true. Um, I totally agree with the host. I think it was Nick Wright who, identified the Packers as one of those teams who are just always afraid to be bad. Right. And they always want to try and stay at a top level. But I also think that's not a bad plan because if you can always assure yourself of being in the mix or getting to the postseason and then have a couple of things go right, you always have a chance at least to win the Super Bowl, which is more than you can say for a majority of the teams in that league. However, I also think that there is, there is a time and there are should be times when you do need to throw all your chips in, when you get so close and say, all right, we're right there. We need to go all in and whatever. And I, I, you have to be able as a front office person to orchestrate or construct the roster that it doesn't complete. You don't tell you what, you don't need to be the Marlins World Series team where after you win the title, you basically have to get rid of everybody because you did what you set out to do, and then you got to start over at ground zero. Right. You don't have to do that. Right. I think there's a way that you don't have to decimate your entire team after you win a Super Bowl. So I think both of those can be true. And yeah, do I wish they had more Super Bowl titles? Sure. But I also look at all the chances that they have had, and a lot of teams would love to be in their position because I mean, you've got some teams that haven't been to the playoffs or even close to a, an AFC or an NFC championship game in a long time. And when, when you think about how many that the Packers have had, um, I mean, you kind of be lucky to be a fan of that team, um, in my opinion. However, I did tell Michael, I said, just once, 
And I, I realized it would have to be a catastrophic season to, to merit this. I wouldn't mind the pressure and the excitement of having the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. Just to see who that player could be and what they could do for your team. No, I hear you. I, I just kind of, they're a better version of it, but they're a little, the Packers are kind of similar in a way to the Herb Cole era Bucks, where like he just wanted to make the playoffs. So he was fine with like, you know, going 42 and 40 and getting the six seed because, hey, we're in the playoffs. We're relevant. You know, see, and you can sell that to the fan base and the fans get excited. But at the end of the day, you're not going to win a title. Um, obviously, the Packers are a little bit better version of that because they have Aaron Rodgers. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just think that in sports, there's these little windows that you can, you know, sometimes it's they're wide open and sometimes it's just a crack and you got to bust the window open and, um, I just, I don't know. I just look at the Packers ever since that, really ever since about 2011 when they had the 15 and one team and they didn't win the Super Bowl. They didn't even make the Super Bowl. They really haven't thrown all their chips in and 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 tried to do much. But yeah, just just my opinion as a non-Packer fan. I I understand what you're saying. A lot of teams would give anything to be as close as they were, but all those teams can go. Yeah, but we didn't have two of the seven best quarterbacks of all time either. So. All right, let's let's get into uh, the Bears here briefly. Um, I I didn't hate their draft. I certainly didn't love their draft. Um, they didn't have a first round pick because of the Khalil Mack trade. They had two seconds on Friday. Um, I was a little surprised they went tight end with their first pick, taking Cole Komet out of Notre Dame. Um, by most people, he was the number one rated tight end on the board. It is a position of need for them. I was a little surprised though that they they went that high. Um, but you know the the Nagy offense, obviously coming from from the Chiefs, um, you know they got a pretty good tight end over in Kansas City, and uh, I think that's a position that Nagy would like to get a lot more out of because that's a especially when you have quarterbacks like Trubisky and uh, Foles who are limited in, in what they can do, having that safety valve at tight end is pretty sweet. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, looking up and down about the Bears, I mean, you, you needed corner. You got a couple of there, including one in the second. There's not a lot of wide receiver help. You got one there. I don't even know who that guy is. I don't know whether he's going to be able to, you know, crack I, the, the, the top five. I saw good, I saw line help. Yeah, I saw. I saw good things, and people were rating this Mooney kid that they got in the fifth round at wide receiver. They were rating him really well, but yeah, other than that, I've never heard of him. <laughs> um, the pair of second or seventh round offensive linemen. I don't know whether they can step in and start because the Bears' offensive line is kind of a dumpster fire, and mm-hmm. then and then you got an edge rusher. I've I've never heard of that guy. So no quarterback, which we already kind of touched on. Um, you needed safety help opposite Eddie Jackson. There, there wasn't there. The running back situation has kind of been a mess uh, for the last couple of years. And then, um, you know, there's been some turnover at linebacker as well, which there was not a whole lot there. So I, I guess, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of areas of need, and they touched on a couple. I don't know how important those guys are going to be um, in the immediate future. I mean, what's What's your feeling? Well, I think uh, Jalen Johnson, the corner out of Utah, they got in the second round. Um, I think he will start for them. Uh, 
I'm that's the pick I'm the most excited about. Um, it, it's one of those guys that he played at Utah and he's out in the Pac-12, and Utah is not much of a perennial football power, and sometimes those guys can slip a little bit. And I think the Bears uh, were very fortunate to get him where they got him. Um, this this edge rusher Travis Gibson they got in the fifth round. I think he's out of like Tulane. Extremely raw. I don't expect him to contribute probably until next year. Um, and then after that, after that, it's a crapshoot with these guys. You never really know. I was really surprised they didn't draft a safety. I thought that was the one spot um, that and right guard where they lost Kyle Long. I thought those were the two glaring holes that they needed to fill. And maybe they will fill one with one of these late round offensive linemen. I I doubt it, um, at least not initially, um, but. There were some safeties on the board there in the second round that that they could have taken. I was, you know, thinking maybe they might try to trade up and get into the third round uh, to take one of those guys. Um, but like I said, I, you know, I don't love it. I didn't. I don't hate it either. I'm kind of just fine with it. I, you know, I, I a B B minus draft grade um, for me for for the Bears. Um, I think at least they got two guys in Komet and Johnson who will contribute next year. How much, I don't know. How good they'll pan out to be, who knows. Um, but, you know, Komet can learn a little bit behind Jimmy Graham and not be forced to be the number one guy right away, which is which is a good thing. And uh, this Johnson kid, I mean, some of the things I read, they were comparing him very, very favor- favorably to Kyle Fuller. And Kyle Fuller is had a couple of years where he's been among the best corners in, in the league. So that's that's uh that's an exciting one to to kind of think about. But other than that, not a lot to add for the Bears. A little surprised about no quarterback, but like you said, what you know they could have reached for somebody in a in the second round, but I I think they felt they had other glaring holes. Um and in the short term, at least for this year, you're you're set with Trubisky and Foles next year is really when that decision will have to be made. And I, I mean, I, do you know, I think Foles is under contract for a couple of years, I think. So even if they decide to move on yeah, from Trubisky, yeah, they, they'll still at least have somebody there. So um, was, was there anybody? Well, before I get to that, a couple Badgers got picked four of them. You want to hit that quick? Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor to Indianapolis, I thought that was a, you know, a pretty good landing spot. He's played well in that stadium. He's he's familiar with it, not really that that matters. Zach Vaughn fell a long way and I think the thing feel I think I think that was probably due to his diluted urine sample which wasn't even for everything I've read shouldn't have even been a big deal and was actually kind of common anyway, so I don't know why teams were shying away. He had a potential to be picked on the first day. Um, he didn't, and he lasted until what I think the Saints picked him on the. What was he a third or fourth round? I think he I, was I like. I think he was third. I think. Okay, but um, and then Biotis fell all the way to the Cowboys. That's another guy that probably should have been picked higher. And I, I would like to see some scouts write up on why the Michigan guy got picked right away, and you got the best center at least by way of the Remington Award. That fell way farther than him. But, I mean, if you're Dallas, you've had good luck with Wisconsin centers. Yes, you have. For, for a couple decades. 
and now you apparently get another one at a at a bargain rate by where you took them. Yeah, I I I think Dallas offensively had a phenomenal draft. Um, Biotis, I think he was fifth round, maybe. I don't understand that. That sounds right. I don't understand that. Like no. you're telling me that there's like what thirty five better linemen than him? I I I don't understand that. That's that's like you said. I w- I'd be curious to read some some things about that too because he was when he was sitting there. Jerry Jones had to be licking his lips. I mean, you're you're going to get the best center in college football right. out of a program that routinely puts very very good solid linemen into the pros and you've reaped the benefits of that. I mean, Travis Frederick was an all pro. Um they've had other Wisconsin guys on that Dallas line over the years like you said. So, man, that was a that was a great value pick for the Cowboys. And of course, of all teams it has to be the fucking Cowboys. Right, that's that's the unfortunate part is that now I'm not really going to enjoy cheering for that. I wish obviously, but I don't want to see the team have a whole lot of success to begin with, and now they've they've got a badger. I was a little surprised Cephas went a little bit sooner than I would have expected, and I think a lot of people would have expected uh, to the Lions, but, um, you know, we'll get to see him uh, a couple of times a year with the Packers and by way of the Bears. So, um, and the, the other badger that was in the mix, linebacker Chris Orr, didn't get picked up. I don't know when teams can start signing un, undrafted free agents. Uh, they think they can come to agreements but not sign or something like that. So I don't know what that window is, but um, a lot of people that that I've read have said uh, Orr will be a nice uh, undrafted guy to pick up and will really help depth on the defense and be a monster on special teams. Yeah, I think I heard the kid that the Lions picked in the first round out of Ohio State, Okuda, I think he. Uh, I heard him say, that uh, Cephas was the best wide receiver he played against all of last year. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah, that's, that, that, that's good praise. Um, you know, who knows how he's going to be in Detroit. Detroit's just typically a mess. Um, I I think Jonathan Taylor is going to start day one in Indianapolis. Day one. I yeah. think he's better than Marlon Mack. He's more explosive. As long as he can keep the ball off the turf, um, I think he's going to start. And the fact that he gets to go play with Phil Rivers, who um, – is another person that's got some experience playing with the Badger in the backfield with Melvin Gordon with the Chargers. Um, I think that uh, I think Jonathan Taylor is one of those guys. If if Vegas ever opens back up, that's a sneaky offensive rookie of the year bet right there, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I mean he's got an established quarterback. I don't know how the how the receiver group is, but he's great line, great line. To run, go. they, they got a great line to run behind. So, um, any anything stick out? Any big surprise that you know? Any any buddy go somewhere or a team do something other than your Packers that that surprised you? Um, in looking, I thought the the Dolphins had had a pretty good draft. Um, and I know John Barry, our our buddy at the Gazette, he's a Dolphins fan. The Raiders had a boat of picks, and I didn't really see them picking anybody that really stood out. I hate the fact that CeeDee Lamb went to the Cowboys. That sucked. Um, I thought the Vikings did pretty good with their first couple of picks, addressing needs right out of the gate. I mean, they they, they, they were found a replacement for Diggs right away, and then 
Uh, later on, they added a corner, which was a huge uh, area of need in the first round. And I guess the main puzzler for a lot of people was when the Eagles picked up um, mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of odd, uh, and it's uh, like I'm not alone there. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I know Carson Wentz has had his injury problems, but again, you know, you're you're spending a pretty high pick on a player that you hope never plays. I don't know. That's just that's odd to me. Um, yeah, I, I like Tampa's draft. I really uh, like the pick, uh, the Wolf's kid out of Iowa, um, to uh, mm-hmm. plug right into the line to help Brady out. I thought Denver did uh, a great job of getting some offensive weapons. I mean, their offense is now loaded. It's just a matter of whether Drew Locke is a real quarterback or not. Um, touched on Indy a little bit with Taylor. I, I really like what they did. I thought the Cowboys had a great um, – great draft on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense didn't really get addressed, but um, I think they're maybe they're just looking to outscore people. And the Vikings, like, I love that Jefferson pick in the first round, the, the wide receiver, but I, I was looking at something today. They had, like, freaking 15 picks. They had a yeah. ton. Yeah, I and when you make that many picks, you're basically wasting them, which I was listening to my normal podcast with, with Steve Zabin, and there was a, there's a guy in Minneapolis, uh, Paul Charchian, and he's a Vikings fan, and he said, why don't you turn a couple of those picks to move up around, you know? Mm-hmm. Turn, turn a couple of, you know, a couple of fifths to move up to the third or something like that to go get some better players because, I mean, the more you draft in the lower rounds, chances are drastically reduced you're even going to make the 53-man roster, let alone the practice squad. Right. Well, that's true. That's very true. And uh, I thought what might have been the highlight of the draft for me was seeing who actually drafts uh, for the Patriots, and it's Belichick's dog. <laughs> that was funny. That was awesome. I, I love that. I, I, I thought that was. I thought that stuff was the best part of the draft. All that background shit that was going on with the coaches and stuff at their houses and their kids being around, and I, I thought that was okay. great. I mean, I, I, you know, I know they're going to go back to the, you know, the Wall Street way they did it. They're going to be on location and everybody's going to be wearing a suit and all this yep. and that. But you know what? I thought this was pretty fun. I'm, I'm, I enjoyed it. I'm glad they did it. I watched more of this draft than any draft I've ever watched in my life, and any draft that I ever will watch in my life. But hey, it was a good time. <laughs> yep, when you're starving for sports, those are the things you do, though. Definitely, definitely. All right, well, we're getting up against it here. Um, we wanted to hit on some stuff with the uh, the Last Dance documentary. Um, they dove pretty hard into Dennis Rodman in Episode 3. Uh, they dove pretty hard into Phil Jackson in Episode 4. And, uh, you know, and then kind of the usual stuff. Um, that you would see the back and forth, a lot of stuff from the 97-98 team, and then they went back through kind of the, some of the early runs that the Bulls had against teams like Cleveland and Detroit. Um, the Rodman, Can I ask a question it, right out of the gate? Yeah, absolutely. Does the timeline of the way this whole thing is constructed seem a little weird to you in the way that they focus on a player or a coach and then try to swing back to the present, but yet still it all, I mean, I know it's a Jordan documentary. It just seems really weird. They highlight one player or an executive or a coach or whatever, and then it goes back to, but Michael's awesome. It just seems like it's very 
staggered in the way everything is set up. Yeah, I've heard a couple people bring that up, and you know, I think the first, you know, the first couple episodes, I think they're trying to establish the other characters in the story and give a little background right. on them, and they've done that with Krause and Pippin and Rodman and Phil Jackson. Those are kind of the main. You know, you got the villain in Kraus, and then you got the co-stars with Jordan. Um, I mean, I saw somebody say, if you watch the show This Is Us, then this should be no problem because all that show does is jump around decades, decade to decade. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know how else they could have done it where it wasn't just this boring, tedious track through like a 15-year career. I, I, I don't know. I think the jumping around maybe keeps you more engaged a little bit, makes you – pay a little bit more attention but um the, the rodman stuff uh nothing new for me there i mean i i knew the only the only thing new was the hilarious story that jordan told about rodman needing a vacation i thought that was hysterical <laughs> and and the reactions of rodman pippen and phil jackson when they're watching jordan tell the story i thought i thought that was awesome that was just great Right, it's it's one of those it's one of those moments where you and a buddy and a couple of other people know an inside joke or a story that probably will never be told, and then all of a sudden it gets told at a party when everybody's had a couple a couple of drinks, yeah, and the people around you that have never heard it are eating it up. Well, the other guys that that know it are all looking at you like, I can't believe you're going into this right now. Oh no, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, so it was it was interesting. They you know they dove back a little bit into his Pistons career. You know they touched on the the time when he sat in the parking lot with a gun and was going to kill himself in his truck. Um, they touched about the part where uh, he has to meet with Phil Jackson and they ask him if he wants to be on the Bulls and he says, "I don't care. Whatever. What's up?" <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like I mean. Uh, it's unbelievable that dude. That dude was an actual. He was an actual cartoon character come to life. Well, I like you can't also let that dominate the narrative about Dennis Rodman. Like all the all the freakish stuff and the weird sideshow antics and whatever. Like when he's talking, and granted, it was hilarious to try and follow him about how he was. Um, you know, interpreting and philosophizing about rebound and angles and mm-hmm. spin and whatever. Mm-hmm. But you could you could see that he did his homework, and that's why he was so good at it. And, I mean, honestly, I knew Jordan was was the best player, but I love, I love um, supporting cast members. And to me, I liked Rodman better than Jordan or Pippen because – he was so good at rebounding and worked harder than anybody else. And to me, seeing some of that stuff finally get some praise and the background of it a little bit, that made me appreciate him that much more. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely what, what they say now. He was a star in his role, and he knew his role, and, and, he, and he played it well. Um, you know, one thing they didn't touch on when when the Bulls actually traded for him, they traded Will Purdue for Rodman. Um, nobody wanted to mm-hmm. touch Rodman. He was basically about out of the league. He had had a couple of years. Uh, he got traded from Detroit to San Antonio, which they did touch on. Um, but 
he had no he was just a mess. I mean, there was an instance he took his shoes off and basically sat on the floor during a playoff game and um it, it, nobody wanted to touch him and uh, you know, they they kind of had to sell everybody on bringing Rodman in and then you factor in all the bad blood that he had especially with Pippen from those Piston series. Right. Um I don't know. I could could he could a guy like that even exist in the NBA today in the Twitter world? I mean, because he could go to Vegas for three or four days in 1998, and there's a few home videos of him, but that's it. You did that now, you're on the front page of Yahoo, everybody's got Instagram pictures, and, like, I don't think you could, I don't think he could get away with that kind of stuff in today today's NBA. The only way that you could do that is if you go overseas or you go to some small island resort or something like that where you are literally away yeah, but from like, civilization. Even or, like these even these celebrities that go to like these teeny tiny islands and you and all of a sudden it's like some so and so's got a topless photo of Princess Diana and it's like, Well how the fuck did they find her? <laughs> right. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just thought that no, he's a pretty I, unique I, to his time kind of guy, you know? I had forgotten the story about when he went to Vegas, and that jogged my memory. And then and then you've got Carmen Electra that comes on that says they knocked on the door of the hotel room, and she's hiding behind the couch under a blanket. And they basically, and it's, it's Michael, and he basically said, hey, we, we're here to get you. Come on back. That's that's part of the story that I absolutely love that they had to go out and get him. Can he be back in 48 hours? Yeah, sure. He's not back. We had to go get him. And the fact that she was in the room and had to hide that, that to me, well, I, I was dying laughing. Yeah. I've just, it was, that was pretty fascinating. And I mean, Carmen Electra, I, I just have one word. Swing. <laughs> That's my that's my that's my nineties uh my nineties word for the day. But yeah, I mean she still nope. looked gr- she still looked great. Very appropriate. Obviously, she's kind of a nutbag if she's uh, dating Dennis Rodman and marrying later marrying Dave Navarro. So she's obviously oh, got a little little something off with her. But boy, she still looked good. That's for sure. That is for sure. I love the and then and, and I, I love their focus on on the Pistons, which I mean I guess because I didn't watch a whole lot of hoops, I didn't know that basically they were the uh, hockey equivalent of a goon squad mm-hmm. um, whenever they'd play be- because of their physicality. And uh, Didn't Bill Lambeer have a video game called Combat Basketball? I think so, yes. Yes. Did, did that guy, and you, you would know more than I would, did that guy have any redeeming qualities on the court as an actual basketball player? Yeah, I mean, he was... He was a pretty good player. He was just super dirty and didn't give a shit and had no problem getting into a fight with somebody and was an asshole and was probably he's probably the most disliked player in NBA history by other players. I mean, I don't I've never heard anybody that wasn't on the Pistons say a nice word about Bill Lambeer ever. <laughs> So well, yeah, it was it was I, I, it was fun to see. That... Yeah, it was fun to see those old clips when you know they talk about how physical it was back in the eighties and nineties, and you really got to see that. 
with some of the hits that Jordan was taking, especially when he's airborne, uh, when you can really hurt a guy. Um, which all, you know, that, that whole thing kind of culminated in 1990 in Game 7 when the Bulls have a chance to knock off the defending champs and Scottie Pippen comes down with a migraine, which, you know, I've never had a migraine. Um, I don't know whether he had one that day or not. He says he did. All I know is I looked at the box score today. He was one for 10 from the field. So something was obviously off. Um, but that was really a big fork in the road moment for Jordan and the Bulls. You know, if they win that game and go to the finals and play Portland, they probably win. Um, I don't know how that affects things going forward long term. Obviously, if they win that series, they do not fire Doug Collins and hire Phil Jackson. Um, and I thought Doug Collins' comments about yeah, that, that were very interesting when he basically said he kind of knew that there was some politicking going on behind his back and that his, his days were numbered. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, that seemed very shady to me, and it gave me a, a different perspective about Phil Jackson when, you know, Tex Winter was trying to talk to him about this triangle offense, and Doug Collins basically banished him and said, you know, sorry, we're not doing this anymore. Get, get over there. I don't want to hear about it. And then Tex starts talking to Phil about it, and then all of a sudden Collins gets fired, Jackson steps in, and, and at his press conference with a huge smirk on his face, that didn't really sit well with me. Mm-hmm. And I guess I don't I don't know how it sat well with a lot of a lot of Chicago fans, but and again the the whole Kraus thing to me, it's like you put all these pieces on the board and made your moves and build up everything that you wanted to do, and then all of a sudden at the height of everything you're looking to, to dismantle the thing piece by piece because they went into Jordan talking about not playing if Jackson wasn't there later on and all that. I'm going like, how did we get from, you know, orchestrating this entire thing to it still being completely intact and you're wanting to bust it all down? I, I don't understand how you got in the middle of all these championships. How did we wind up there at the end? Well, it... it- it really does harken back to the first two episodes because you know you usually you hear about meddling owners. He was a meddling general manager to the point where like he couldn't stand to not have his fingers in the mix, and you know he he did not want he wanted credit at the end of the day. Jerry Krause wanted credit, and the only way you're not going to get credit if you sit in your office and just do your job. That's not how it works in professional sports. Mm-hmm. You have to be moving around and you got to be shaking things up and you got to be, you know, saying things that that are going to get media attention and those are all the things that he did and it is just kind of funny how full circle it comes where basically he goes behind his head coach's back to hire Phil Jackson and then 8 years later he's doing the same exact thing right. to Phil Jackson. Um mm-hmm. so Jordan's disdain for the Pistons is real. It is not fake. It is very, very deep, as he said. It's over 30 years old. He has not let it go. I don't blame him. Um, you know, the Pistons, the the famous walking off the floor before the game ends uh, when they get swept by the Bulls in 91, um, 
I thought his reactions to Isaiah Thomas's excuses were were priceless. All excuses I've heard before. Um, it was so bad. Isaiah Thomas was actually on Get Up on ESPN this morning, still giving excuses. Um, I I just wish that these guys on Detroit would be would be man enough to just say, "Yeah, we fucked up. We shouldn't have done that. That was bush league. That was poor sportsmanship on our part." Um, we apologize for that. We shouldn't have done it. Let's move on. But this this constant justifying it and trying to rationalize it and say, well, the Celtics did the same thing to us. Eh, it's not really the same. Celtics weren't the defending champions at the time. Um, I just think the, the Pistons is in general come off looking kind of weak. Um, you know, they, they're the transitional champion of that era. You know, you had the Lakers and the Celtics in the 80s. You got the two years of Detroit, and then you got the Bulls in the 90s. And I was trying to come up with a comparison today, and I, I had to go into my wrestling book for of comparisons. It, it kind of reminded me of, remember at Survivor Series 97, the, the big Montreal screw job when uh, Bret Hart was the champion and, mm-hmm. and HBK pins him and becomes the title, but little does anybody know that HBK's back is roached, and they got to get the belt off him. And in the yeah. inter- in, but they got to get him to WrestleMania somehow. And in the interim, all of a sudden, like Mick Foley, all of a sudden becomes Dude Love and has got the belt and is feuding with Austin. But like nobody really remembers that. He's just this like little transitional thing for a couple months. That was Detroit, and unfortunately for them, they don't like it, and. There's nothing they can do about it at this point, but but whine and cry and make excuses. And frankly, Isaiah Thomas, it's the reason why he wasn't on the Dream Team. I mean, I got that Dream Team poster sitting right in front of me here, and he ain't on it, and he should have been, but he wasn't because <laughs> Michael Jordan hated him and Scottie Pippen hated him. Yeah, it seems like he was all in with how they conducted themselves right up until it got really critical in a national light like this. And then all of a sudden he didn't really go all into, yeah, that's how we were. And yeah, that's how we conducted ourselves. Cause I saw somebody interviewed Lambeer within the last 24 hours and he doubled down. He's like, I don't make any apologies for anything. I don't care if people, you know, like me or want or didn't like me. It was, you know, that's the way we played and we won championships. So why should we care? Right. So you, you've got those two, you know, kind of, uh, attitudes, you know, butting heads a little bit, and, and one from a, a giant goon on the team, the other's probably the best guy, at least the most talented guy on the team, and he's not real, you know, proud of the way that they attain those championships, the way I interpret that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bill Lambeer's just a dick, man. There's just nothing else you can say. I mean, Larry Bird's got the famous quote of, I think they were in the All-Star game in the late 80s, and, uh, Bird took a shot, and Lambeer said something to Bird about he was open, and Bird just looked at him and said, fuck you, Lambeer. So that's pretty much all you need to know about that team and those guys. So um, so the Bulls win that series. They go on to the finals um, where they beat the Lakers and Magic Johnson in five, which was obviously a big deal for Jordan um, to beat Magic and to uh, win his first title. I thought it was pretty cool when Will Perdue was talking about seeing Michael Jordan cry in the locker room and kind of let loose with those emotions. Those guys had never seen that before from him. Usually it was this ornery, fiery competitor, and you know they kind of got to see a little softer side, a human side of Jordan after he won that title. That was pretty cool. 
I would agree with that and the fact that all they said was that it was all competitiveness and anger and frustration. Mm-hmm. And then to see that, you know, to pay off and then the let loose. I mean, that, if you didn't do that, then I don't think people would call you human. Right. No, I agree. Um, then they, they, they kind of went back in time and hit on the 89 Cavs series where Jordan hits the famous free throw line jump shot to win the series. And I had heard the story before of him going up to the press row and kind of giving some shit to the, to the Chicago writers about them picking against the Bulls. What I didn't know was what Michael Wilbon wasn't able to enlighten us on was what Jordan was saying after he hit the shot and was pumping his fist, which was, fuck you, motherfuckers. Whoever's not with us, you fuckers go to hell. I thought that was just... Unbelievable. It's everything we have known and loved about Michael Jordan. It's that ultimate competitor, and I, I just love it. It was great. Yeah, I liked that he picked out those couple of writers who picked him in three and four and five or whatever, mm-hmm. and Jordan like picked him off, took care of you, took care of you. Tonight, I'm going to take care of you. I thought I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Um, they they did kind of foreshadow a little bit of the Michael Jordan Scott Burrell um, dynamic when they showed Jordan on the bus making fun of him for banging chicks and drinking every night. Um, that was that was pretty funny. And I actually uh, Scott Burrell's wife, who was not his wife at the time, came out on Twitter and was laughing her ass off and thought it was great because she was in high school at the time and she ended up uh, ended up marrying him, of course, but. She just thought it was hilarious that Michael was busting his balls about that, so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, you could see that he wasn't comfortable. You know, no. Taping. You're not taping this. That's not going to make it. He did not. That, 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 I thought that was good. Yeah, Scott Burrell was not having a good time right then, but you know what? Michael Jordan's giving you shit. You just got to take it. Um, but, yeah, just last couple things. I, I thought that uh, all the Jordan interviews have been phenomenal. I, I think uh, – the honesty and the rawness and the unfilteredness has been just awesome. Um, I thought it was really cool, and I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen it before, him giving an on-court interview after losing Game 7 to the Pistons in 1990. That, that was shocking to me. That would never happen today. Never. I mean, can you imagine LeBron no, James I- doing that after getting beat in the Western Conference Finals? to just stand out there and give an interview to Doris Burke. I just don't I just don't think that would ever happen. No, and not being as, you know, I mean, you know, he was clearly disappointed, but he also understood that he got beat by a good team and they made it, you know, very far and he was appreciative of all the success that they had and he wasn't bitter or anything like that. It was just a normal regular interview and he was, you know, he was very complimentary of of the team that just knocked him out, which I thought that was, that's kind of a sign of a, of, of, of a good competitor yeah. and a good loser afterwards. Yeah, you lost, but you can do it with some class. And it seems like a lot of players nowadays could use a little bit of a dose of that. Absolutely. I mean, it, it showed a lot of class. It showed a lot of sportsmanship. Um, so I'm, I'm glad they stuck that in there. So episodes five and six will be coming up next week. Uh, some of the highlights I've seen, it looks like we're going to really dive into kind of Michael Jordan and the brand. Um, I think people that weren't alive at that time, this is these are the episodes now where I think you 
hopefully they get an, uh, an appreciation for just how absolutely insane famous this dude was. Um, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. And my mom called me today to tell me that she watched last night's episodes, and she just said to me, oh, my God, he was so unbelievable. LeBron James isn't even in his class. And I just said, that's why you're my mom. That's why you're my mom. That's why I love you. Well, and, and I'm wondering how, because I know he was worried about his public image and what people were going to think of him. So far, I haven't seen any, anything that is particularly damaging. It's coming. Or has made, has made me, oh, oh, it's coming. It, it's coming. I, I have, I've heard episodes five through eight. It, it, you, you start to see the day-to-day competitor yeah, and it's. I mean, I don't know how bad, but from what I've heard, it's it's going to start getting real here pretty pretty quick. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. I think that's one of the cool things about this documentary is that all this raw, unedited footage. I'm really glad. I know they have a like a PG version on ESPN too. I'm really glad that they they're not beeping stuff out. Um, Same here on the version I'm like the Doug Collins press conference of what play did you call? Get the ball to Michael Jordan and get the fuck out of the way. I mean, that is just gold. (laughs) That is gold. And you have to hear that without a beep. You you can't beep that stuff. Which is funny because you you, you can tell they use old footage and old interviews where they've already censored it out, which means that they don't have the original copies and that's what they're forced to use. Right, right. All right, well, we covered a lot. We we tried, we were under an hour and a half, but over an hour, so we kind of compromised here. But <laughs> we had a lot to get into. It was a fun sports weekend. Now we're going to kind of get back into this dog days of not really having much to watch or, or get excited about other than this documentary. But hopefully better times are on the horizon. Yeah, there's a vast ocean now of, of uh, what, what we, where we are now and where we got to go. Um, with golf opening up and uh, the potential for some of the other major sports to get going as well. Because right now, I don't even know if anything is going to be done by the time training camp is supposed to open for the NFL, whether or not that gets done on time too. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of unknowns. So we'll we'll be waiting with bated breath. Hopefully you'll get all your painting done and uh, your arms don't fall <laughs> off and nobody, no dogs are shitting in carts when you're at the store and uh, – you know, hopefully it gets God. nice enough where I can go out and shoot some hoops here one of these days too. So I'm looking forward to that. And that, that and getting on the golf right. course. So, all right, we will uh, be back hopefully next week with another episode, another Corona Mania episode of the Intentional Foul. We thank you for listening as always, and um, check my Twitter page. I put a pretty cool photo up there of me as a little kid at Game Four of the 1993 Finals between the Bulls and the that. Suns. I'm going to go back. I got that game on DVD. I'm going to go back and watch it this week and uh, awesome. and check it out. I still got the hat. I have no idea what happened to the the, the very, very 90s-ish cartoony T-shirt that I'm wearing. <laughs> I have no idea where that is, but I do still have the hat, so it's pretty cool. Clothing, clothing back then was the trip. Even the uniforms of that, we that that's a whole that might be a whole episode. We'll we'll talk about that later. <laughs> All right, bud. Well, thanks for hopping on. As always, stay uh, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll be listening to you back on the radio full time again this week, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll go from there. All right. All right. I'm Dan. I'm Josh. We ran out of music.
We will catch you down the road. Later, folks.